Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today I have David Black on today to talk about necromancy. And uh, it's kind of funny how all this happened. I posted in the Facebook group looking for a necromancer, and um, surprisingly, I did not get many responses. <laughs> I could not find a, necro- a, a true necromancer to come forward. Uh, but David volunteered to come on the show, and we're going to discuss some of these metaphysical theory and practices behind what the idea of necromancy. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's a funny thing you mentioned the necromancy, because just um, a couple of days before you posted that, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, I sometimes look at all sorts of weird and wonderful things where people are doing entertainment. And I was going through wrestling. There was a Vice um, <laughs> series on wrestling. And I got to one of those African nations. Um, sorry that it slipped my head which one. And they have their voodoo shamans doing the wrestling. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, People aren't so interested in that little neck of the woods and going to see a wrestler unless they actually show voodoo in the wrestling. And they weren't weren't getting paid directly from the wrestling. What would happen is that the people would um, see, oh, this person has great power. And then they would make their money from people coming to see them to get things done, such as the dead being raised. Excellent. I didn't know they had shaman, wrestling shamans in some remote part of Africa. <laughs> oh, I didn't know until a couple of days ago either. But um, I, I watched it and I kept, um, I kept cutting backwards and forwards because what we can do nowadays, I mean, maybe I'm getting old by saying nowadays, but anything that's up on video, you can stop it. Yeah. You, can, um, you can go click, 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 click and try to see how they did stuff because mm-hmm. I was looking for the uh, blood that was palmed into um, a hand, um, the uh, rolls of fat to see if they pulled something out. Um, I was looking to see were these wrestlers positioning themselves in a way that the audience couldn't see what they were going to do. And I actually couldn't pick the magic tricks and the fakery. But I, I don't believe with what they were doing that that was necromancy. Um, with you and me, when we were talking, we were talking about um, just on Facebook, uh, a very long talk about the metaphysical concepts behind how this is possible, as well as some of the history of it. Yes. So I had to think to myself, is this showmanship? And I think a lot of uh, necromancy um, that has been presented to the public has been showmanship mm-hmm. because I very rarely hear anyone talking about the metaphysics and behind a lot of things that we call magic that um, are real. Some things that were considered magic a um, hundred years ago, scientists caught up with and can explain. 
a lot of the concepts that were in Hermeticism and that you find in Kabbalia, Kabbalion and Kabbalah, you start to see that science starts to catch up. And when they used to talk about lots of energies, now we uh, actually measure within a spectrum lots of different energies and we do realise that they're on a spectrum. So, I mean, for audio, um, we're measuring that in, in what hurts and then for another one, like light, it's got its name for its measurements, yes. but we're finding it's all a spectrum. And Einstein himself said that um, all matter is energy under stress. So if we're talking about raising the human body from the dead, we're talking about matter and being able to influence that, to change it, to get it to another state that the person desires, and that being a state that you've got a dead body that's already within hours, um, has rigor mortis, the blood's not flowing, yes. all sorts of problems are happening. Um, I'm guessing that if your idea of necromancy is to raise the body and not simply speak to the spirit, then you're going to have to reverse or fix that process first. Well, my understanding is that necromancy will only work within the first 24 hours of death. Um, because one of the main reasons you're using a human body to perform necromancy is to communicate. It was a, actually, I, th I believe it was created as a form of divination to reanimate the body with a spirit in order to communicate with it, to do divination, to find out things that are going to happen in the future. Well, if that's the case, um, a lot of people here probably um, have thought, hey, the Bible, I'm throwing that away. That's nonsense. I'd like to follow some more Eastern uh, methods of thought. Um, but in the Bible, you've got the Witch of Endor. I think it's King Saul. His um, new Samuel's died and the uh, new prophet just does not like King Saul at all. <laughs> and so you go, he, King Saul's already made necromancy and necromancy in particular uh, illegal. So he has to pretend to be somebody else, you know, to fake it. And he goes to the witch of Endor who realizes that's King Saul once she's actually risen Samuel from the dead. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just the spirit, not the body, but he is seeing something because it says that Samuel was covered in the mantle of the earth. So if that's all people are looking for for necromancy, they don't really need to raise the body at all. They just want to talk to the mind. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there, there is that aspect to it. Also, I understand like in, in some Jewish Kabbalah systems, uh, rather than using a human body, they use clay or dirt and try to uh, that's, make a being out of it. That's for a golem, which actually doesn't have a soul. Um, Rabbi Kaplan actually in one of his books, and I've forgotten which one he's done a lot. He actually gives the, um, the uh, prayer that you use for raising a golem. He actually spends about three pages on it. And I looked at it and I started reading the prayer. Um, I do speak Hebrew. Well, I read Hebrew, but I don't really understand enough words to say that I speak it. Right. And so I started saying it out loud. And then I realized that this had a cadence to it. Just like when you're doing a mantra when you meditate, it was mm -hmm. um, 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 um. and um, 
the, the very idea with the cadence in a mantra I read is to do with um, the word om, the very first sound when the universe comes into being right. is supposedly om. om, which is a om, om, om. Om tattoo. You've got it, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not a Christian, but um, isn't it the gospel according to John that starts off, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word right. was God. That word God um, if we're looking at it, um, would be aum. If we're if we're if we're assuming that you can mix and match various spiritual belief systems, then it would be. Yeah. My be technically, you you can't. My belief is we're all climbing up the same mountain, so there's many paths up the mountain. But when it comes to dissecting the way. It's more like we've got um, a photograph, the same photograph for every single different spiritual um, uh, path. But what they've done is make a jigsaw puzzle because you can't absorb it all at once. Mm -hmm. So they've tried to break it down into uh, laws that make sense and build it together. But the way those um, pieces are cut are different for each group. So one doesn't necessarily work with another, but because of logic, when you're trying to do it, many of them have similar pieces. So you'll get, um, say, the concept of uh, karma, which is cause and effect. Yes. Um, so um, a number of different places have probably said, you know, let's just start with cause and effect. So you will get some pieces that are similar. So it's possible, possible that the Gospel of John saying that it all starts with the sound and that sound is God. And then in Hinduism, they believe, the uh, sound is om, mm -hmm. there is possibility. So I know it's really jumping like a conspiracy theory from very little to something else, but is it possible that the use of a cadence of that om is to get back to the earliest possible source so that um, everything is in it? I would say absolutely. You know, in, in, in like the Jewish tradition, you know, there's the unpronounceable name of God, um, which, which most people now pronounce as like Jehovah, you know, or like I'll usually just use like the, the Hebrew letters. I think it's a yod hey vav hey. Some people say Yahoo, you know. Um, and then like the Eastern, you know, there's the Om. Um, but but, but it, it goes right back to where you started though. Everything is energy. And... Um, also, the energy is vibration. And what is vibration it's, to us? It's sound. Sound is sound. I think, I believe that sound is everything. You know, everything that we perceive is actually some form of sound. It's like we're living within like this grand orchestra. Uh, I also think that's why music is so powerful, too. I don't think well, there's I think anything just hit, more powerful and touches a human being's soul more than music. Well, I think you just hit it there, right on the head, because you brought up vibration. Um, now, the idea with uh, necromancy and, in fact, a lot of the different um, magics, if I can call them magics, um, is that uh, you're actually trying to tap into an energy 
and all energy vibrates. And it's the vibrational rate of each energy, which is how they're measured by what we know in the spectrum. So the idea is the correspondence of the vibration. And at this point, a lot of the um, belief is that we're looking for a mathematical correspondence. Yes. For instance, if you mention music, if I, I, I'm a bass player, I hope you consider those <laughs> to be musicians. If I hit a middle C on the bass mm -hmm. and you're hearing that ring and you can hear the vibration, then I hit the high C. So I'm just really going to octave it. You hear um, a, a vibration and a sound and you feel that they're similar. But if I pluck both at the same time, they blend. And I think the idea is that we're looking, um, when we make um, a sound vibration such as OM, to uh, basically create a bridge through the blending, the mathematical correspondence of one vibration and another. So we're looking to blend them to go there. Now, the Freemasons are actually very much on the same level. I know a lot of Freemasons don't see Freemasonry for what it is because um, I was the master of Lodge Humanitas in the year 2000. I did all, oh, I think it was nine years from being an entered apprentice and each year going up a notch, you know, um, to, to the, doing all of the chairs. And I used to hang out at the Freemasons Library in, in the city of Melbourne and I chatted to a lot of fellas and they missed the very point that is actually in the brochure. The brochure, um, this is really wrecking my, my mind to remember, but it says something like Freemasonry is a peculiar um, system that is veiled in allegory. And um, I've missed half of it. But uh, basically the stories are all allegorical. So a person would come and they'd find the story of Noah's Ark with a different twist to what they were used to. And they didn't realise it's allegorical and they would think that they found a new story of Noah's Ark where the um, information of the world is on two pillars, one that won't burn, one that won't uh, sink, and they think they've got new information. Um, before I did my third degree, I went and started reading Masonic um, uh, books where people had given away the secrets of the Freemasons. The, the grand librarian said, mm -hmm. you know, Dave, just do your third degree, don't wreck it, you know, um, please stop reading these. Uh, after I did my third degree, uh, looking at what I did, which was um, uh, the usual Masonic third degree that has been in place since 1717, uh, or actually that's when the lodges came together from about 1725 when it was standardised, I looked at that, which was based on uh, the building of King Solomon's Temple. I looked at the uh, one that is based on the Tower of Babel, and I looked at the one that is based on, uh, not just the Tower of Babel, um, on the flood. And I realised allegorically all three told the same story. And the story is that the secrets are lost. And uh, we're basically being told to go out and find the secrets of the Freemasons. And they quite often come down to this word. There's, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a word. That, um, just like you're looking at the word of God and some of them actually tell you it's the word of God. Technically that's not what Freemasonry is about anyway, but it is about seeking that out. And um, you're uh, 
your Hasidic uh, Jews, um, which Hasidism is actually fairly new. I think it goes back to Israel, Baal Shem Tov, which means Israel, Baal Shem Tov, uh, Lord of the Good Name. He became their spiritual leader because it was believed he had the secret, sacred name of God. <laughs> but I think you already told everybody what it is. It's Aum, Aum. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I do. I, I think, you know, it's definitely one of the familiarities that you'll find between Eastern and Western traditions is that. And the other thing that you brought up too, you know, is the mathematical end of it, um, which we find depicted in sacred geometry. Once again, big in Freemasonry. So uh, the sacred geometry and the Freemasonry um, I can't call myself an expert. I looked at it. I read it. I'm terrible with maths. Not too bad with geometry. And I kept looking at it. And um, they are looking quite often with the geometry to find um, a, uh, a link, a syncretism. You know how we were talking about with the law of vibration, being able to get um, two – they're looking for a correspondence. That's the word I was looking for. So they're looking for a correspondence. I think with um, our idea of necromancy, um, we're actually looking for a correspondence to um, an earlier or more powerful um, spot where we can come back and rebuild what's here. In a way that is covered by Kabbalah. Um, if you're, you, are you familiar with Lurianic Kabbalah? I don't think so. Well, it's really just named after, um, I hope I get the guy's name right. There's so much information out there that I can remember the basics. I can never remember a date. I can never remember the exact book, never remember the exact name. But he, I think his name was Isaac Deluria. And he gets, um, uh, they start naming um, the Kabbalistic practice from him. Um, so in his, his is the one with the tree of life. His is the one with the concepts like the great Simsum, which is where it all starts. The idea is that um, the, now this is panentheism, as you might find in Kibalyon, but all of existence is made from God by God. The concept of God is perfection. And in perfection, absolutely nothing changes. So existence can't come into being um, in what is before creation. It just can't. Basically, nothing can change. It's all perfect. So God has to withdraw some of God in what's called a great contraction, a great sinsum. That leaves um, a space that is lacking a little bit of God so there's room to move. And um, with that, that first contraction that's before existence when existence comes into being after the contraction comes an expansion which in science would be called the big bang basically it all explodes out and if that doesn't really make a lot of sense a good visual is um a cover of a pink floyd album of all things they've got the light all of the colors are in one one beam of light but when it hits, um, I forgot what they call it, but it prism. hits a prism, yep. it splits into all of the colours of the rainbow. So in um, the expansion, 
all that is, was, and will be is basically in that one light. Once it hits the prism, because some of God has been um, contracted, um, you get all of existence coming into being. Um, once it comes into being, that um, uh, that, sim that, that uh, diagram of the tree of life and the sephirot is actually the... Um, the order of how each thing comes into being. It's how they've cut up um, reality, how they've cut up existence, and they've made it into um, these circles called sephirot, and you can meditate on them, and the lines between them are expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. It's a bit how, like, the wind works. We, we get a hot day, the wind expands, get a cold day, the wind shrinks, and then mm -hmm. pushes, pushes the uh, wind along. It's yeah. how... Um, Inside our computers um, at the moment, we've got boards in them and the uh, silver lines you see are called buses and the, um, the energy that flows along those is through the pressure. It's expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction going through that. Right. Um, yeah, and they're, they're usually associated too, I believe, with the 22 Hebrew letters and also the 22 major Akana tarot cards. Well, actually, that's more of a later thing. The, the 22 Hebrew letters and the way all of that's explained in Kabbalah um, is actually the knowledge is already there and somebody has it and they want to keep it secret, right. just like right. the Freemasons, because there have been times where people get persecuted on beliefs. So many places kept their beliefs secret. But if you wanted to write up a key of how to put all of that information together, you need to find a way. So the Sefer Yetzirah starts talking about 22 letters and talking about the pathways. Somebody that already has the knowledge then looks at that and says, ah, right, for my tree of life, I need three uh, vertical um, lines. Mm -hmm. You know, they're my three pillars. Okay, I need now I need 22 connecting paths. I need, you know, so that they can look at that and start to put it back together and they've got the visual there that's now, that's, that's taking away some of the brain power you're going to have to put into it because you can now look at the visual rather than trying to work stuff out and say, right, this is where I need to be meditating at right now on this particular sephira. Yes. So, yeah, it's more of a, that, that's what Freemasonry is about. They take you in the first, second and third degree through um, through passion plays and explanations on learning symbols, on learning allegories. Now, um, Sefer Yusirah is symbol and allegory. But uh, later on, when you do the mark, they take you through um, secret signs. Um, then you do the Holy Royal Arch, and they teach you something else. Every time they teach... Um, that's, I got one right. In the mark, they teach you um, uh, codes, you know, you've got the, you, so um, the the mark code there, although you could write in code and say, here's my Masonic code, I want to pass it on to somebody else. It's not really um, a real cipher. It's made up to teach you how ciphers work so that should you in um, going off to learn various spiritual systems, come across one, you'll say, 
oh, I recognize that. That's a cipher. I've got some experience in ciphers. Maybe I can work that one out. So if you came across um, a famous one like the Utbush cipher, suddenly you can work that out. When you start reading um, somebody else's stuff that looks like a load of uh, stuff and nonsense, you might say, because you've done your first, second and third degree, you might say, oh, that's allegorical. And then when you come across um, symbols, and a lot of them will put their symbols right out there, hidden in plain view as their secrets in the symbol. And yeah. you say, well, look, I'm, I'm used to um, working with symbols. Uh, Jung did a lot of work with symbols. I've mm -hmm. got one of a book with a lot of his work on it, which is very handy. So you see a symbol. Because you now understand symbols, you say, ah, I can now see a symbol. What am I learning from that? So Freemasonry... Um, through, depending on which uh, order you take, whether you do um, the 33 degrees or you do, like myself, you go through the mark and the uh, arc and the holy royal arch. And I didn't do the arc, by the way, but, uh, but I did do the holy royal arch. When, when you do those, you're being taught different methods. And this is where so many Freemasons go wrong because they're not understanding the methods. They keep collecting up new stories saying, I've got a new story. It's an allegorical story. Uh -huh. Which actually really um, confuses the crap out of me because every time I went to the Masonic Library, there is a whopping big like encyclopedia set. And they're big books called Quatus Coronati. And it's a lodge that anybody can go to, whether you're a Freemason or not, and put forward your ideas. And they'll, they'll accept them and they'll publish them. And I thought, how the hell does Freemasonry stay on track with its original purpose when so many that join and go through the chairs come out not understanding it? Right. So, so I've never been in a Freemason order but it, but it sounds like what it's trying to do is trying to teach you how to understand, to interpret the information that a lot of these older mystery schools put out, such as the Rosicrucians. Well, Rosicrucian um, is actually, I'm not going to knock the Rosicrucians with what I'm saying. I don't want it misinterpreted because the Rosicrucians, in my opinion, are far better for a spiritual seeker than the Freemasons. Uh -huh. They put out um, actual teachings and they structure them. I think they're, they're perfect, but they're a fake order. Uh, they're not a fake order in that they exist today and they've been doing a lot of stuff for um, hundreds of years. Right. But the very first pamphlets that got put out were basically, um, and when I say pamphlet, in the times that these pamphlets were put out, which is like 1650, is not like nowadays when mass production of pamphlets can happen and you're getting thousands of them a day. A pamphlet was big news because printing wasn't that common. So somebody puts out um, a pamphlet announcing that there's a secret order called the Rosicrucians. I think somebody else afterwards came in who had spiritual knowledge and started creating it, but it right. didn't actually exist. The whole bit about um, Christian Rosenkrauts and um, the secrets once again being hidden in a grave, which is very Masonic. I think somebody <laughs> just had a little bit of fun, but from their fun came something that is that I actually would recommend to people, by the way. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that not all of our origin stories are actually right. what we believe they are. 
So the Rosicrucians, once again, have the same thing. You've got, in fact, they're, they're almost around necromancy, whether you're talking uh, Christianity with the raising of Jesus from the dead or whether you're talking the Rosicrucians with um, it all happening in a grave or you're talking Hiram Abiff who uh, dies and takes the secrets with them. They've all got a death and a hope for resurrection somewhere there. And resurrection is raising from the dead. Right. Lazarus. That was important in the gospel. Yeah. Jesus was coming along saying, I am the Messiah, right? And as a Messiah, at that point of time, the references were more towards um, the books that were written in Babylon, where you've got um, the intelligentsia of the Jewish um, community. They weren't called Jews yet. Um, they are Hebrews um, or Israelites. But you've got the intelligentsia, the Kohanim, basically, and anybody else that was a leader, having been exiled to Babylon. And so they're longing to return to Israel and they've lost a war and they're longing to return. And they've got a lot of people that uh, they miss that are dead and they're mm -hmm. hoping for a full restoration to come back to Israel and that the dead will rise from the graves. Well, you know, 500 years later with Jesus coming along, you know, and him saying he's a Messiah, there's all of these stories that a Messiah is going to have to show that they've got some power of raising the dead because the dead are going to rise when the Messiah comes. So showing that he could bring Lazarus back from the dead right. is saying, look, maybe I can raise, um, you know, the half a million people <laughs> that died. Because look, I, I I got this guy. <laughs> I wonder how many people would be offended, church people, if we said that Jesus was a necromancer. <laughs> well, I don't believe that he really did raise Lazarus from the dead, but uh, church people would be offended anyway, because um, it depends which church. Yeah. But if we look at the. Um, the mainstream of the church and the mainstream, whether you're talking Protestant or Catholic really comes back to the Nicene creed. Um, when you're talking the mainstream, the church is an organization, the Catholic church, especially because it's centralized. And what is there? Um, half a billion Catholics in the world, or did I get that wrong? And there's a billion, there's a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Catholic church wishes to maintain control over their people. So the first thing they say is, even if you're a Christian, if you're not practicing um, Catholicism, you're in the church of Satan. So it's a case of let's demonize um, everybody that doesn't follow exactly what we say. And that's a common thing with a lot of organizations where they put the organization first. What you and I are talking about is we're not talking about an organization. We're talking about what are basically the laws of nature and how can we apply yeah. these laws of nature uh, to raise someone from the dead. And at this point we're talking about what's the theory behind it. Is it possible? Could we do it? Um, what things would be involved? And I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I, think um, two, it, I think there's two, two factors that we've covered so far is the vibration. And, it's, mm. and I think like we, the sacred geometry part of it, Makes me think, um, and one of the like, things too is like the Freemasons were builders. So they were building these cathedrals. One of the things that these cathedrals do is the echo sound. You know, they're, 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 they're auditory, they're auditoriums basically. 
So, so you know, they're, 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 they're using those two sciences right there to, to manipulate vibration, you know. Um, and then there's probably like more steps yet involved in order to raise a dead body, dead body. You know what I mean? It's interesting you say that. Um, I'm not sure I agree because um, it doesn't come up in Freemasonry anywhere about um, about using the cathedrals. I think what the when um, there's a lot of old manuscripts that uh, were dug up, basically. They, they, they thought they were all lost around um, 1717 because lodges that had... Oh, I should point out why 1717 is important. In 1717, four lodges in England decided that they were going to announce their existence to the world. All lodges had been secret before that. Um, and if uh, somebody's wondering why the hell would they be secret, just think Salem is like 1770. Mm -hmm. You know, the to announce that you have uh, this order would mean that um, you could be killed. But they've decided at this point um, that they think it's safe enough to announce their existence to the world. So they're technically not a secret society. They're going to be a society with secrets rather than a secret society. And they'd already put a lot of work in beforehand, reaching out to the various secret lodges. And a lot of them said, no, um, they, we disagree. And to protect themselves, they burnt their manuscripts. Mm -hmm. But a lot of manuscripts, some going back as far as 1450, have, um, have been found. And they usually just give things like the bylaws, and the bylaws don't make sense for a for um, a society of Freemasons. They're more they they make more sense for what is an underground railroad. The things about lodging with um, with people and not sleeping with their daughters and uh, this sort of thing. It's like how you should behave if somebody is hiding you. Hmm. So it's like an, it fits in with what Freemasonry is about today, that um, let, let's say you were um, a Protestant priest in a Catholic country and they want to kill you, then uh, you would hide that priest and help to preserve their knowledge. Let's say you were Wiccan um, and uh, the Catholic Church is after you. These are laws that are for hiding people and then trying to preserve their knowledges. Um, so it's a case of, I think, with some of the conspiracy theory books, as dumb as they come across, the very idea that the Freemasons have come out of the Knights Templar either has merit or that the Knights Templar were a major user of the an underground railroad in trying to get away once um, they were accused of blasphemy and the, and, you know, Jacques de Molay's burnt at the stake and all of the, all of the uh, Knights Templar are running. Um, these are people that uh, want to save themselves and preserve the secrets of their order. And I think Freemasonry comes is, is got very little to do with the building of cathedrals and <laughs> learning how to make a cathedral than it has to has to do with uh, preserving knowledges and an underground railroad, uh -huh. especially when you look at some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. 
So if you're going to talk about the sound vibrations, you've got a hundred years before you can get a sound vibration out of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things too, that makes me think about this whole vibration thing too, and the building is like, say for example, the great pyramid, you know, I've heard stories that the great pyramid, um, uses vibrations activated by, by certain mantras and chants in a certain key. Um, so, so that was like another connection, like, you know, with the idea of an auditorium. That looks quite possible. I did, you're talking some of the stuff by Graham Bouval and he's uh, done a lot of research, but I'm not a fan of his. Um, but uh, one thing that does stand out to me is a lot of the carbon dating of the Great Pyramid and a lot of what they look at mm-hmm. has um, some things like the Sphinx being much older oh, yeah. than, um, than the Egyptian society. It's almost <laughs> like Egyptian society did evolve um, quite quickly and, quite, and to become quite advanced, but it's possible that they found a lot of these advanced things there. Oh, absolutely. I, I, mean, I, think, I do think that the pyramid was there before the Egyptians. Um, but one of the things that also, I mean, the Egyptians did preserve their dead for resurrection. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, they've just found um, a new cache in Egypt of, um, I think it was like 50 mummies. And uh, I looked at the photo and I'm hoping that the photos that they were showing weren't stock photos, but of the new ones. And I thought, how can you have a society that just spends so much time um, building um, cemeteries and the most grand (laughs) ones and coffins and stuff? Um, Yeah, uh, the whole whole idea of uh, raising the dead, it's it's throughout virtually every... um, every people that have, that we know of and people in the West might be thinking of voodoo shamans and weird stuff, but majority of people in the West are Christian and their whole religion is based around resurrection. Yeah. Uh, Jews are a minority. There's only 13 million in the world, but um, it comes in quite heavily into Judaism, which is where the Christians have gotten concepts of resurrection. Hmm. So, so, so necromancy yeah, is, plays a role behind all these religions, the Egyptian religions, Christian, Jewish. Obviously, I guess it would be in um, Islam too because it's part of that tradition. Well, Islam also is very heavily messianic. Um, they believe that they're going to have their, uh, not so much a messiah, um, I've forgotten the name of the, there's a fellow that comes back to lead, um, to lead the end of days. And there's a lot of Muslims who believe that we are in the end of days. I haven't studied it enough to know if they're talking about the dead rising from their, from their graves, but, um, but yeah, there is a reason for talking about the um, Judeo Christian Islamic Abrahamic traditions. There are common origins. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the idea of um, raising from the dead is very strongly in there. And getting back to your idea with, um, with the vibration, 
uh, vibration. And I, I want to also get say that vibration without correspondence is useless. Uh, so we're talking correspondence as well. What does every religion seem to have uh, songs and prayers? A lot of people look at these uh, prayers as if they're magic spells. They'll, 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 they say a prayer from the Bible, uh, well, not in so much from the Bible, from the prayer book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they look at witches and say, oh, look, it's just mumbo-jumbo. But um, that's what we're doing. Um, if you're a Catholic, your prayers are in Latin. If you're Jewish, your prayers are in Hebrew. You know, we're quite often praying in a language that's not our own. And why are we praying in this other language? Shouldn't we understand the words that are in the prayer so that we could be influenced? Influenced. If it says, oh God, make me a good man, wouldn't an affirmation of saying, today I will be a good man, be a lot better than um, saying, Baruch Atah Melech You know, I mean, if you don't understand the words, is it because the original words have got the, vi- the original vibration? That makes perfect sense. I never would have thought of that before. But yeah, I mean, the, the original words or the original language contained the original vibration. Well, for a lot of um, Christians, they wouldn't be aware of this, but the Old Testament, um, which is the Torah in Hebrew, when you unfurl the scroll of the Torah, you've got all of the words in Hebrew, you have a whole lot of squiggles above and below the words. Yes. And each one of these is a musical notation. Yeah, there's this all one. kinds of correspondence. That's one of the things that makes like Hebrew an interesting language is because a letter doesn't necessarily mean a letter or a sound. I mean, a letter is a, it's a, it's a letter, it's a sound, it's a number. And a lot of times, too, it's like a pictograph because of the way it's shaped, it has its own meaning. Um, so it's, it's almost like a multi-dimensional language in itself. Well, that's getting back to Kabbalah with uh, concepts like notaricon. Um, once again, I believe that the um, concepts there really are secondary, that the knowledge was first, and because the knowledge is being hidden, people said... How can, we, um, how can we hide this knowledge um, so, that, so that somebody that already knows it, not somebody trying to discover it, but somebody mm-hmm. that already knows it can, um, can look at this and it'll come back. Now, when I got taught about the planets in grade three at school, we were told mother very easily made jelly sandwiches under no protest. Now, if you just came across that, it would mean nothing to you. But at the first letter of each word, mother, Mars, very, Venus, mother, very easily, Earth, made uh, as Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. I write, if I write that down, I can then pick that out and say, there's the order of the planets. I think that's more what Gematria and Nectaricon are all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that a lot of the Jewish people that I know, uh, mainly because I'm Jewish, but I don't have a lot to do with the community. But when I have and I start talking to somebody and I ask them questions, I get them when it comes down to these sort of things, hear a whole lot of nonsense because it's misunderstood a lot of the time. 
So someone will tell me um, some Kabbalistic uh, ideas and they don't get it that it's mother very easily made jelly sandwiches under no protest. You've got to know first, and that's how right. you'll recall it later without giving your secrets away to somebody else that picked up your book and just read mother very mm -hmm. easily made. So they don't sort of get that bit. They think that that's there and they're going to discover it from there. I think they're going to dis the, the idea with Kabbalah is you're going to meditate. And oh, you're going yeah. to discover it from meditation and you're going to meditate according to the order of the Sephirot so yeah. that your discoveries are going to be in an order that it can make sense in your head. But you're also going to return because soon as um, it, the Freemason with this returning, the Freemasons have um, a whole lot of stories about a spiral staircase. You're, doing your lesson one and you're at the beginning of the spiral staircase. But as soon as you walk up, you're going to be at the same spot again, one story up. The more things you know, because you're doing that, the more you return to the beginning, because it's going to have an effect on how you perceive that now, because you just brought in a better understanding of another concept that is now going to relate to the first concept. Right. So, so, so the more you know, it's going to change how you perceive the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, a lot of people um, think uh, with the way we teach, um, say in schools, that, um, well, actually, let's forget uh, schools. Let's go back to the way religion is taught. And a lot of people think that religion is a load of crap. And there's a big move against religion nowadays because you're given this simplistic idea of God. You're given a simplistic idea of God because it's your first teachings. Like when I first got taught about a cow, I got taught it was a moo-moo, right. which is probably a better word than cow because at least it tells me the sound. But you get a, <laughs> you get a very simplistic version of it that um, as you get older, it will not hold together. I mean, I just did lots of good things. Why did bad things happen to me? You get what I mean? Yeah. Uh, your simplistic version doesn't hold together because, and it's not supposed to because now you're supposed to re-explore it with new knowledge and deepen your idea. And school is not teaching about karma. Right. Uh, oh, school. Um, religion. Um, a lot of religion is not getting deeper into the spiritual in uh, the way people are, are, are encountering it when they sit at the synagogue or they sit at the church. I'm saying that um, it's just uh, the beginning of the spiral staircase. Now, if you have a look at your Ten Commandments, and there's a bunch that I don't really take uh, a lot of notice, like I am the Lord thy God who led thee out of Egypt, you know, um, that, that really fits in with the times this was given. It says, don't kill, don't steal. Don't lie. Let's think of what happens in your mind for the person that kills, the person that steals, the person that lies. And it starts to make sense to me. If I'm a liar and you say to me, hi, Dave, it's a, it's a, that's a beautiful shirt you're wearing. My first thought, because I'm a liar, is that I think you're lying to me because you must want something. 
if I'm a jealous person that says, do not covet, and you tell me it's a beautiful shirt. I don't understand that you're complimenting me. I think I, I want to steal your that, shirt. <laughs> yeah, you're jealous. You want to steal my shirt. So these very simple concepts are given, and they get you in the right mind vibe because the only way you're going to raise the dead, for instance, or do anything, is to be able to see things with as great a clarity as possible. Right. So the whole idea with meditation is to gain clarity. Um, every day, if we think of our mind as a glass of water, that glass of water is see-through. That's the mind's natural state. But um, jealousy, you throw it in and it's a bit like throwing a bit of pepper in there. And um, your, your, your hate, you throw it in and it's like putting... Um, so another colored powder in there. Mm -hmm. And the more your mind thinks, the more the water stirs yeah, you and you're mess. having jealous thoughts, hateful thoughts, and it, your mind is getting agitated and you can't see through the uh, glass of water with all of that crap that is now um, all agitated and swimming around in the water. But as you slow your mind down and you start to meditate, the uh, dust starts to settle and you can see more clearly. Now, if somebody does want to learn, how am I going to raise um, a body from the dead? How am I going to communicate with the dead? They're going to have a lot of work ahead of them in learning. And they're not going to learn if they've got these blinders on that keeps twisting and, um, and changing the teachings every time they see them. So you actually are with your basic religions, um, whether it be the noble eightfold path, whether it be the Ten Commandments, you're given at a very simplistic stage, the beginning. But then religion starts to fail because you only did grade one. You didn't get to do grade two, grade three, grade mm -hmm. four, grade five. So, so would you say like, 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 like religion is grade one and then like maybe like grade two is mysticism? Well, I like the, uh, I, I, I do agree with that. Um, let's look at it from um, a system that many of us are familiar with. You go to primary school, you go to secondary school, and then you go to university. Mysticism is university. Religion is um, a combination of kinder and, um, and the grades. Mm -hmm. you did, um, if you look at Judaism, they, um, in modern terms, modern, modern rabbinical Judaism, you've got your body, your soul, and your mind of it. And um, your, your body, which is the starting point, is your first five books of the Bible. And in the first five books of the Bible are a hell of a lot of laws. And being a silly old bugger, I just forgot how many. I think it's uh, 316 or whatever. It's very easy for somebody to look up how many laws there are on Google. So you've got your basic laws of Judaism. That is the body of it. When you get to the mind of it, that's the Talmud, which is uh, hundreds of years of, um, of rabbis debating these basic laws and how they apply to... Um, to everyday life. So uh, it's also the oral law, which got written down. So mm -hmm. you've got the body and then you've got the mind and then you've got Kabbalah, which is the soul. So it, it is there. It's a long process. It will get you there um, eventually if you're taught. Um, 
and obviously some people like Rabbi Kaplan, his books are amazing. He got there, but I do find other Kabbalistic rabbis to be writing nonsense. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody. Um, I think with guys like Kaplan that just something clicked in him and he just started to be able to see, I don't know if somebody that they say that the, the master can point you to the right direction, but you have to hop on the path or you're somebody who's studied Kibalian. Uh, maybe you can get this correct for me, but the um, ears of the um, student, uh, it's something about the master talks and only the student only understands when they're ready. The mm-hmm. lips of the master or something. I've yeah, forgotten yeah. what the, the... The master only appears when a student is ready or something like that. Yes, but no. That is correct. That's a, Yes, because it's another way of saying exactly what it says. But it's sort of like the master has said something and only when the student is ready to understand it do oh, they understand yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, that's like, like that happens to me actually all the time, like with books. Like, I, I can go back and read a book that I read maybe 20 years ago and didn't understand. And now I'll go back to it and I'll revisit it. And I'm like, ah, oh, how did I not get this? You know, oh, I'll tell you something. And this is where every one of your listeners is going to say, uh, this Dave Black doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm switching off now. This is the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard. But the best, the best book to illustrate this, which I consider a great spiritual book, is The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> now I have to explain, but I, yeah. I can hear it. I can hear the radios all clicking off. Dorothy sets out on her spiritual path and she has three companions, right? And the first companion, Dorothy just wants to go home and her companions are going to help her. The cowardly lion wants um, uh, to be brave. It's a heart that he wants, right? The um, tin man wants a brain. Have I got these correct? And No, the scarecrow. Tin man wants a heart. Her heart. The lion wants to be brave. To be brave, and um, the scarecrow needs a brain. Yeah. Now, what they experience on their journey is what actually tells them that they all had what they were seeking in the first place. It was the journey that revealed to them that they already had it. Yes. So that's exactly um, the story of what we're talking about. Everything is actually already here. All of the teachings are already within you, but you need to be able to see them. And some of that will be life's experience and how you react to it. Right. And, and like I, other, I think you brought up the other part too is meditation. Yes. To be able to, um, get rid of the cognitive biases and the um, things like the jealousies by meditating and um, and bit by bit by bit, you'll be able to see clearer. And that's what ritual is about. People go, oh, more meaningless ritual. If I put my left hand in the air and my right foot out, it's not about where your left hand is and your right foot. It's to put your mind in a certain place to make you receptive to uh, the teachings or even just to change you and make you more receptive. For instance, 
people wanting to do good will quite often give money to the poor. It's a physical thing. We can see that it did some good. In Buddhism, sometimes people just meditate and make merit um, from giving fake goods. I offer light to Buddha. And somebody goes, oh boy, is that airy-fairy nonsense. But it puts your mind into a different spot so that you can be generous. And if you keep training your mind to go along certain paths, to be more balanced, gradually you'll be able to see more of what's there. Or as the, um, you're told in the Freemasons that um, the light of a Freemason is but darkness visible. Very misunderstood term. It means that everything that is in the darkness that you were, didn't know about before, that you could um, stumble upon, you know, stub your toe on, you know, it might be a Lego brick on the carpet in the darkness. It's now visible. You're not going to step on the Lego brick in the darkness. <laughs> so you aren't being taught the light. You're being taught what's there in the darkness. That's going to prepare you for finding the light anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a really good band called Darkness Visible, isn't there? Yeah, that's my band. (laughs) (laughs) When I named the band, which is like 1994, um, nobody else in the band understood the term. Uh, They just reckoned it was a really cool name. And no one that's ever come through the band has ever understood the term, even though I've given it to them. And it's not me knocking the other people. Um, basically, as a gothic band, most people are attracted to dressing up, putting on the greatest clothes, slopping on the makeup and going, rah, I'm a boogie monster. So basically, it's like you said before about the ears of the um, student being receptive to the words of the master, being able to understand them. I'm talking about uh, people that wouldn't matter what you said. They can't understand. Uh, It seems simple to you and me, but you probably have forgotten maybe the last 30 years of yourself working on yourself every day. You didn't do something massive in one hit, but it might (laughs) have just been a meditation um, on Monday, you know, of... Mm -hmm. uh, a meta generation, a generosity one. And on Tuesday, giving something to the poor, but never expecting anything in return. And you forgot that you gave to the poor five minutes later. uh, All of these different practices put your mind into um, a state that it was receptive to uh, being able to learn and advance and deepen that knowledge. I gave this information to um, a bunch of guys sitting around with me, also with makeup on and black nail polish. And uh, we were all drunk. And I said, yeah, let's uh, do it. Let's do the band. We'll call it Darkness Visible. Yeah, man, it's a real cool name. So (laughs) So they they didn't understand the own name of the band. (laughs) No, wrote a lot of songs on spirituality that uh, people don't understand today. Like I've got one that is actually... um, quite um, a humorous one about karma. Uh, it's spirit, spirit entombed in flesh, struggle, struggle to transcend. Like, uh, oh, I, the, name, the words have just escaped 
me right at this point, even though I could sing them on stage. <laughs> but you go through the lyrics and mm -hmm. on one surface, they look really cool. They look like really dark, nasty, um, gothic lyrics. Um, in it, I actually uh, decided to use a philosophy that isn't the one that I follow, but I decided to give them the Gnostic path. So the, the Darkness Visible tells a story, which is Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is also quite interesting too. It's one of the, in a way, it's almost an Abrahamic religion that is removed from the other three. Yes. But it, it, it pops up all of the time and the, the Catholic Church went nuts over it um, as a heresy. You know, <laughs> they, they had more crusades against the Gnostics, such as Cathars, um, than they ever did against uh, anyone else. Yeah. Actually, I, I interviewed somebody from the Gnostic Church not too long ago. Well, the Gnostics are interesting. Um, they put their teachings into other people's teachings to hide them. So that's why you get these Jewish Gnostic books and the Gnostic Gospels. Basically, they were, they were hiding because their ideas actually would offend a lot of people. Um, they, they actually are born from the same ideas that gave uh, rise to Christianity and modern rabbinic Judaism. You have a people in, in Judea. Their main influences, um, as well as Judaism, which is first and mainly the Old Testament, their main influences have been pretty much Persian. And they... they Aramaic is more common language there at the time. So you've got Zoroastrianism as a main influence yeah. with the, a God of good and a God of bad. And it's, it's far more. The, another influence also was the Greek that had come through. So you've actually got a method of organizing your thoughts and suddenly having the Romans occupying Judea made absolutely no sense. If our religion is correct, and our God is mighty. Why are we being occupied and persecuted? Um, it can't be that God is not mightier than the Roman God. So God is allowing this to happen. What has happened? We must have offended God. So it's an idea of, well, if we've offended God, how do we make it up? Well, we've always made sacrifices. So the Christians go off on this bit saying, well, we can't just um, sacrifice uh, a moo cow. That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> We've got to sacrifice something higher. And as you go through the uh, common beliefs of the hierarchy of, of what is a greater sacrifice, you get all of the way up to a human sacrifice. And if a human isn't enough, it's got to be the son of the king. And mm -hmm. if that's not enough, it's got to be the firstborn son of the king. And if it can't be the firstborn son of the king, it's going to be a, a, the son of a god. And if it's not just the um, son of God himself, it's going to be the only son of God and a pure birth, a virgin birth. And it didn't work. But uh, <laughs> that's Christianity. Yes. It obviously didn't work for um, Judaism either because, you know, 40 years later, after Jesus, the first temple gets destroyed. So another group comes along and they say, well, you know, a, a perfect God 
isn't going to be running around like a child having tantrums. You're not going to see all of this terrible stuff this God does and ascribe to this God um, all of these, um, all of this destruction and all of this childishness and narcissism. I said, this is not the God. This is um, a bad God. The perfect God would never create an imperfect world. The bad God created this imperfect world that we live in. Um, Rex Mundi. So as soon as Christians and Jews start to realize there's a religion out there that is saying, our God is in fact the devil. You've got a major (laughs) problem. I mean, Christians might not like Jews and say, you're not following our ways. So we don't like you because of that. Right. It's not that the Jews are pointing the finger and saying, um, your God is the devil. <laughs> so yeah, they, they hid their beliefs, their Gnostic beliefs into other uh, books so that they're retrievable. They can, if uh, the Christian authorities go knocking on the door, well, I'm just um, studying the gospel of Judas. Haven't you read that before? <laughs> oh no, they're good Christian people. They're, they've got a different branch, but they're studying Christianity. It's no, they're Gnostics. <laughs> so this is an interesting one. They believe that the, that the real God is um, even further um, away than this particular God. And the God that rules this world is basically uh, wanting you to worship him so that he can get the energy from it and he's narcissistic. And when you die, if you're not a Gnostic and you don't have the truth, your soul will not go to the real God. The uh, evil God will pull your soul back down here. You'll reincarnate and you'll be back down here. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be similar to the Buddhist concept of samsara. Oh, by the way, I wasn't knocking um, the Gnostics. I have no idea. They might be right. (laughs) I wasn't knocking them. Um, There are many different beliefs um, in this world. And uh, it's really, in my opinion, organizations fighting organizations, not people fighting people. So when you're finding that there is, um, say, the Cathars and the, um, the Catholic Church has decided, um, the medieval Catholic Church, to go and wipe them out because they're heretics, that's an organization. The people following that organization quite often don't know it. They didn't have the internet back then. Yeah. They, they couldn't read and there weren't books being printed on the Gutenberg press. So, I mean, all these people have got in their search for what is the truth is what is being given to them. Yes. So we're not talking about bad people at all. We're talking about jealous organizations wishing to get bigger and richer and uh, to survive. Mm-hmm. If anyone really had yeah, it, brought it still someone, goes on. <laughs> even even with the, <laughs> even with Google, it still happens. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's like like the said about um, you can put the information in front of people. It doesn't mean they're going to understand right. it. Yeah, I always make the mistake of um, confusing the crap out of people because every time I understand something, I seem to think that I'm a bit of a dummy. So 
they must understand it better and already know it. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm 56, I think it's now 10 years since I've made that mistake of sitting down in a chat with a group of people uh, thinking that they all know more than me and somebody saying, oh, we're staunch Catholics and then having them believe that uh, I'm the devil (laughs) within five minutes of the conversation because (laughs) their spiritual knowledge is um, equivalent to an amoeba. (laughs) So, like, do you think people have to leave their, their, their religion in order to become more spiritual at times? No, I think... Um, or do you think people all, can do it within the framework of, of certain religions? I think the framework of the religions gives you grade one. But then you've got to understand that um, your priest is a cleric. What their knowledge is, is what all of the rituals are. Mm-hmm. It's not, it quite often doesn't go any deeper. There are religion, um, people within religions that have tried to do more. But um, there is a model in the Bible that sort of explains it. You see, uh, your prophets were the ones that had been in contact with God or connected and somehow yeah. that, gave the great, that had power and gave, gave the great knowledge. The high priest often wasn't a prophet. Now, it does get confusing because some high priests were prophets, such as Samuel. Samuel in the Bible, I'm not saying that these stories are true, by the way, I'm just saying it's a model, but Mm -hmm. Samuel in the Bible can talk to God and he can tell the future. He is um, a prophet and a high priest, but the majority of time they're just clerics. So they know, you know, the priest knows, um, you know, how to perform all of the rituals. But the ritual, like Bruce Lee said, it's just a finger pointing to the moon. Don't look at the finger or you'll miss the moon. Right. <laughs> Do you remember that and enter the yes. dragon? <laughs> Bruce Lee, by the way, was a very spiritual man. He was. <laughs> Such a genius. He wasn't really teaching people how to beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> it, Kung Fu came about from Buddhism. Yeah. from exercises yeah. that Buddhists were supposed to be given. Some people end up looking at the details. Um, they, they, they can't see the forest for the trees. Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying that I can either. I'm just saying that I can see the darkness visible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really say either. I think, what I can say is I don't know everything. Or I know very little because I I think as a human being in general, my capacity of knowledge is going to be limited. And and with knowing that um, I'm, you know, limited in what I can do as a human, um, that that there's a lot of unlimited possibility out there. Agree. Agree. Um, There's um, a thought Um, or an idea that I could never prove. It's just a concept. But um, when people talk about the soul being in the body, I don't believe the soul is actually in the body. I believe our body is a receptacle, like a radio is a receptacle and a signal is sent from, um, from a station. Now, beyond um, the physical at some higher realm, but not necessarily God's realm, 
in other words, not the realm of perfection, but once God has withdrawn some of his um, or her or it, some of its itself, and existence comes into being at one of the highest, finest levels before it all gets to where we are, you've got that realm where the consciousness is. And through vibration, it will be beamed into the body. So what's being beamed into you is everything but you can't pick everything up and mm. all we do with um, our practices and uh, of meditation and the things we do is try to uh, clean this body and this mind enough that it can take more information in. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I was uh, doing an interview with a, uh, uh, she was a medium and an energy healer. And she was talking about how, you know, this difference between channeling energy and, and giving energy. And, and my, my response to her was, I don't have any energy that's actually my own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, is it my energy? No, it's not my energy. <laughs> well, there's no inherent I in a way. Exactly. Um, there's no me. But the idea of channeling energy, when Moses um, parts the Red Sea, and I've now got to correct myself, everybody says the Red Sea. It's actually the Reed Sea. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting into that too much. <laughs> Moses stands on a rock and he holds his hands up high, almost the way you might hold up a lightning conductor. He channels God's energy. And Moses always points out in the Bible that he doesn't have any power. He just channels God's energy. Right. It's amazing. He puts his, I, I was thinking about this. Was Moses like a showman that you put your hands up <laughs> because you're doing a show or is Moses for real? And that if you're going to channel an energy, you want to make your body as wide as possible and you put your hands up. Yeah. So I don't believe the energy actually comes from above. Above is basically a higher vibration. Exactly. Um, yeah. It is. It's not coming from like the sun or outer space. It's already here. No, it's already here because not all um, not all things take up the exact same space. If we get back to our glass and we look, this time it hasn't got water in it, right? This time it is empty. We say it's empty, but what's in there? There is some dust in there. There's some air in there. There's some light in there. There, um, there's some sound in there. Each one of these things takes up different um, space on the energy um, spectrum. So the the space that heaven or hell or any realm you um, can imagine or wish to name takes up is the exact same space that we're in here now, <laughs> like another dimension. It's just. Right not in the same phase as ours. So if Moses is channeling energy, he doesn't have to lift his hands up for a lightning bolt to come down. Right. He has to be receptive for an energy to cross the realms through um, oh, basically correspondence of energy. Yes. And, the funny and, and thing I suppose is, the same thing is going to be true for necromancy. A hundred percent. So um, that it, the, the part about raising the body, you said it's got to be done within 24 hours. That's somebody that's saying, I can't actually fix a dead body. Right. 
Um, so I need to get a dead body before it's too decayed to be able to make it um, get the um, the soul, the spirit, the intelligence, whatever things were there that animated it and made it think mm -hmm. to get them back in there. And you're saying it's um, more of just for a spiritualist concept to communicate with them. I don't think we need that dead body to communicate with uh, the dead. No, we don't. We, I mean, we just prove it all the time. And some of the people that want this dead body back, really, they're people in grief. Mum yeah. died, dad died, my, my brother died, my wife died. I want to bring them back. Mm -hmm. So I think that's more where a lot of people um, are sitting with necromancy and may have even tuned in, is they're saying, I want these guys to tell me how to bring somebody back from the dead so that they're going to walk around. And also with the whole messianic thing, the idea is that all of the people that died in the war against Babylon were going to come back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even even now, like with all the people dying of like like COVID nineteen, how many of those people would like to have their loved ones back here in their bodies? You know. Yeah, we don't like to let go. Um, grief is um, natural. Now the Buddhists uh, try to say that um, you shouldn't grieve. Maybe I'm getting this a bit wrong of because it's usually a very long flowery talk about letting go mm -hmm. and celebrating somebody's life. But we're human beings. Um, you do have loved ones and we do uh, miss them dearly. And we, we do wish that they were back and we, we don't want harm to come to anybody that uh, we love. But uh, I don't think um, bringing your loved one back to life um, is something that we should do because how the hell would you explain it? Would they be able to go back to uh, their, their natural life? What are you going to do? Hide them in the basement? <laughs> yeah, send them back to work. <laughs> <laughs> they show up back to work the next day after their funeral. <laughs> probably better for somebody if they really have to contact somebody that's passed on is to look at more more in the way that Saul did where you contact um, the spirit yes yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think and that's where I think you know like like my own example like I, I lost my parents know, about four or five years ago they both sort of passed away close together and, and, and you know it, it hurt and I've grieved and all that stuff and um, but then I started thinking like well, one, one I've, I've had quite a few experiences where um, it's been proven to me basically that, that people don't die after they die you know and, no. and, and the stories Imagine. like my stories on that are like endless but, but no, what happened uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed right but what happened recently was, you know, I've, since I started this podcast, I talked to tons of mediums and Facebook groups and stuff. Somebody in the Facebook group, group uh, I, I had, well, here's what I, I'll start from the beginning, actually. I was really starting to question the podcast and why I'm doing it, you know. And my wife was kind of like yelling at me, like, why do you spend so much time on it? So I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, but I, I think it's going to pan out at some point. And, uh, 
Anyway, somebody on Facebook messaged me. It goes, uh, does anybody used to call, in the past used to call you, hey, Gar? And I was like, yeah, my mom did. And she goes, oh, your mom once told, you, told me to tell you to keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, okay, cool. And, uh, you know, that was just one person. Then about a couple of days later, I'm interviewing another psychic uh, on my podcast. And he goes, does the tw- number 21 mean anything to you? And I said, yeah, it's my dad's birthday. And he goes, well, your dad told me to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I had confirmation. <laughs> well, I believe that if somebody does want to um, communicate with the dead, that it is for these reasons, they're better off with the spiritualist. Because every time I think, because uh, the one aspect that um, we can discuss without being weird is the physicality of a body. And we already know that um, even if you had a way of, of remaking the body, keep in mind that the messianic beliefs in Judaism is that the bodies were going to be reconstituted 40 years after the, the people had died. In other words, they weren't talking about a fresh body within 24 hours. They meant bringing back someone from the dead who would physically be back from the dead. Uh-huh. They were going to bring them back from the dead 40 years later. Or in the case of Christianity, it's going to be 2,000 years later. So they're talking about bringing the actual body back. Now, I could be wrong on that because there are other um, parts to that where they say that the dead are going to walk to Jerusalem and they're going to ascend to heaven in a fiery chariot. But keep in uh, mind that um, whether you're talking Enoch or a few other people um, in the Bible, they technically didn't die. They ascended bodily into heaven (laughs) so yeah so i do believe that um that at least some of the commentators there believe that uh, you're going to bring a body back um to life physically exactly the way it was before they died any time after 40 50 100 500 years you're going to bring them back to life and um i'm thinking but is that a good idea if I could, there's a whole lot of neo-Nazis out there that would love to bring Adolf Hitler back to life. Yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of bad people to bring back. <laughs> yeah. In fact, a lot of the people that we, um, that we idolize, that we think are good people, as time goes on, now all of a sudden we're saying they're bad people. Um, for instance, uh, you're American. I'm mm-hmm. an Aussie. Uh, suddenly, Christopher Columbus is the worst person under yep. the sun. <laughs> And in Australia, Captain Cook is the worst person under the sun. Uh, <laughs> Captain Cook is very different to Christopher Columbus. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to... I don't believe there's a good person and I don't believe there's a bad person. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I know that we can get simplistic and say that if I punch somebody in the face, I did something bad. And if I give somebody um, a meal when they're hungry, I did something good. But um, are we, the, our actions, is that person good or bad? I don't want to get airy-fairy. I still believe in putting people in jail. I still people that, that do bad things. And I still believe that we need psychiatric inst- institutes. But do I really want to label somebody as bad? Because the, um, their actions tomorrow could be very different to their actions today. Mm-hmm. Do I want to label them by their actions? But I, I do believe that bringing the dead back to life 
is a bad idea. I, um, I, but uh, is it possible? I think that's what people tuned in to find out. Yes, it's possible. Mm -hmm. I think I've been honest by saying I am not here to tell you how to do it because I can't, but I'm with the best host possible because he's studied <laughs> through conversation. We can explore the issues. So if somebody out there is really, really determined to bring out the, bring up the dead, they now will have a lot more knowledge and how to, what could be involved and how to go about finding a way to do it. Yeah. So I wouldn't stop somebody from doing it. Right. I mean, the one time I tried it, I went to the cemetery. I started digging. After about 45 minutes of digging, I got pissed off. I threw my shovel down and I went home and went back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> In Buddhism, there's um, a meditation where you actually get thrown into a coffin with a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> I never did it, by the Not way. Me either. <laughs> but um, the purpose of it is to bring home the impermanence of life. Um, the, I mean, some Buddhist practices, um, anyway, with this one, it's to break attachment. I don't want to break attachment fully with life. I, I actually want to live life, not uh, be above it or distance from it. But um, the, uh, one of them is to look at a beautiful woman, somebody that you are really attracted to, and then to imagine you're just looking at the skin. This is like a bag. What is inside that bag? There's pus, there's vomit, there's bile, there is uh, blood. And then to start realizing all of these things. I choose not to even though I know the practices, because I believe we also have biological programming. Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a reason why we were put on this earth, why there is a reason why we are supposed to get together, have children, and that is also not knocking homosexuals or trans people, because um, I, I believe also in the Wiccan creed, do what thou wilt as long as it harm none. Right, me too. There's also a possibility that, um, that homosexual sexuality is a part of biological programming. Yeah. Because if you, if you think of it, I don't know if, the, if this can be proven, but I believe that there may be more homosexuals around today than there were maybe a thousand years ago. Now, I can't prove that because, um, unfortunately, homosexuals have been um, so... Um, so hunted and uh, persecuted that you're not going to get a lot of people from a thousand right. years ago admitting it. Yeah, they were definitely but, in the closet. <laughs> oh, well, one of the most persecuted uh, people ever um, and, and still are today. But my belief is that if you could find out the numbers accurately, I believe the percentage might be higher today. And I think, and it's just a, a wacko theory, it's because the world's getting overpopulated. I knew that's where you were going with this. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've got a lot of homosexual friends. I think that it's fantastic. Whatever they do, I don't want to hear too much about no, it. Me too. It's just like I'm not about to start saying, 
hey, Fred, I had a good stoop last night. You know, <laughs> it's, it was like this. It was like that. You know, there's nothing better than this or that. It's like, yeah, um, that, that sort of conversation is good for some people. It's not my form of conversation unless right. I'm incredibly drunk. <laughs> and even then, probably not. But, uh, yeah, um, getting back to it, I agree. I believe we're here for a reason. So I do actually agree with our um, biological programming and uh, that I am supposed to see a beautiful woman and fall for all of the tricks. But I also go to see magicians on stage and I already know those are magic tricks. The difference with you and me is we've decided we want to know how the tricks are done. Yes. Yeah. I I don't want to be a magician. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, for for me, um, knowing some of just knowing that some of a lot of it's a trick takes a lot of the stress off, man. I don't take it as seriously. I can, I can sit back and enjoy the trick rather than think the trick is on me. <laughs> oh, same here. In fact, I've never thought the trick is on me because um, I got taken to magic shows right from being a little kid. So I never once thought that I was being made fun of um, right. and that being fooled. It was all entertainment and sometimes knowing how the trick's done, you're quite amazed at the skill in it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't believe that um, the, where we're talking about um, our reality, that it is a trick, that we are being tricked. There is a reality to our own perceptions, just as there are realities to perceptions as you ditch them. Right. The question is, are your actions, what you are doing, going to get you what you want? And I believe only through clarity of uh, thought are you going to be able to make better decisions to get what you want. So although we're talking about, um, about raising the dead today, we could have applied virtually all of these same principles to somebody who wants to become rich, somebody who wants to become famous, <laughs> somebody who wants to actually uh, destroy their enemies, yeah. uh, some, you know, it's the same principles of vibration and correspondence yes. that would be in use. Absolutely, yeah. The, 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 you're right. The vibration, the correspondence, and, and, and like you said, the meditation. I think the, the, the clearness of mind, because the clearer your mind is, the clearer the channel for the energy and, and the whole thing to happen. I stopped meditating, by the way. I know this sounds stupid, but on too too many occasions, I had a spot where I knew I'd pierced the veil. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah. Um, basically, um, if you think, think of the veil as being um, a border and piercing it is like putting a pin through it. Basically, there was a flood um, of, um, of energy, information, whatever, of all that is, was, and will be coming in at once. And it's what's beyond the veil is beyond time. So a split right. second here is not um, a split <laughs> second. And it was a very weird thing. The first time it happened, um, I had no energy for about eight months. I went through what I felt was a depression. But 
the very first thing I did was I started writing. The ideas were there. It was almost like a take and a drug. And ideas were coming faster and, and, and then I could write. And as I'm writing, I'm seeing the ideas decaying. What I knew, um, you know, in such great detail a second ago, I still know, but I only know so many details. And I still know later on, but even less details. Within 20 minutes, I'd stop writing and I'd written like I was some sort of crazy person. You know, the people that write all over the walls, uh -huh. and, you know, it's going on forever. And I looked at what I'd written and it made no sense. Absolute. I'd never heard of any of the stuff that I'd written before. And I went to the Theosophical Bookshop and um, there were some terms there and I started uh, looking for books that had those terms in them. And then I started realising what I'd written is what is in these books, but it is actually two steps more advanced than what the master that wrote these books are. And I'm reading what I wrote as though somebody else wrote it. And... Um, their terms um, and ideas were like that. And I thought, whoa, this is fantastic, except that for eight months, um, I could barely get up and go to work. And I did go to work, but I'd come home and I want to go to sleep. Well, uh, next time I meditated, I did the same bloody thing again, ended up with uh, 20 more pages, went to the Masonic Library and the, uh, the Rosicrucian, not the Rosicrucian Library, the uh, Theosophical Bookshop in the city, and found the same stuff again. And I thought, I'm not doing this. Like, I do meditate, but I stopped myself before getting mm -hmm. there. I said, I want to get up for work tomorrow and go to work. Not that I want to go to work, but I want the money to so that I can pay for the house and everything. Yeah. And after work, I want to have energy to be able to do the things I want to do. This was terrible being, <laughs> being like that for so long. I think the first one was eight months. The second one might've been just a couple, right. but this is terrible. And I thought, I don't give a goddamn about these other people's spiritual systems and now knowing so many great things on it from having gotten that because that's the same stuff that's in the other system that I do follow. Yeah. You know, so I, I've got, I ended up donating most of the books that I bought to the um, Grand Lodge Library in the city. And mm -hmm. I thought, I'm glad to know that um, various other systems like Sufi are so advanced and are so interesting and have got so much in yeah. them. But you only need one powerful practice. You don't, a thousand unpracticed practices or a thousand half practice practices will never beat one that you do fully. Right. So while I recommend meditation, um, the experience I had was almost like the Kundalini experience. Yeah, that's what it um, sounds like. And in um, in Judaism, you're actually warned against this because there's the story in the Talmud of the four rabbis that ascended to heaven. Interesting story because the majority of Jews don't understand the concept of descending in order to ascend, which we talked about um, earlier, yes. you know. But so uh, there probably isn't time to go into that one now, but... In Judaism, <coughs> they say that uh, one rabbi died, just fried his brain. Um, another rabbi um, uh, just uh, went insane. Only one rabbi actually came back and was sane. And um, it's not just um, in Judaism and uh, Kundalini that uh, you were told and warned about this. 
So, uh, yeah, because it's happened to me twice and, um, if somebody's saying, oh, this guy wants to brag because he's just saying he just had this amazing spiritual experience, I think it's actually more exciting to watch fireworks or to watch various um, physical phenomena mm -hmm. that uh, people have created. This isn't like, oh, wow, I just had a great experience. I mean, I've had um, more wow experiences from uh, taking illegal drugs. I'm just saying this is what happened. <laughs> Yeah. This is what happened. I, I sat and I wrote all of this nonsense or what looked like nonsense to me. I picked out phrases. I picked out terms in what was madman scribble and found that they really existed. I had no way of knowing where they came from because it's pre-internet days. Mm -hmm. Just went to a library, uh, bought books, read them from beginning to end. They weren't big, thick books because I don't read well. <laughs> and found that the terms existed and started to see how they were put together and then realizing that what I had was still logical once I'd read this stuff, but went further than their masters. Yes, it's there. Anybody um, that uh, practices can make themselves receptive for the teachings. But I, I yeah. can't do that again. I, I believe that I'm here in the material world. I'm going to live. I'm going to die. And mm -hmm. I wish to, that's who I wish to be. The guy that gets up, goes to work, um, gets their money, can choose to then, with my money, go buy that book and read it. Yeah. I don't want to bring up a dead body. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't want to use magic to smite my enemies dead. Yeah. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I mean, I do still, I do meditate. Cause it, it, well, I, I don't know. I, I meditate like in a Buddhist tradition the way I, I was taught was the you know i always keep my eyes half closed and half open so that way it, it just stays more balanced that way and i think it prevents kind of like what happened to you happening to me yeah i do yeah. close my eyes but before it because when I, I close my, my eyes it gets a little freaky oh no i, I yeah I close my eyes, but I, I, I get myself into the mind vibe first with um, almost uh, the Buddhist ritual. Now, a lot of people say, oh, ritual is terrible. Ritual is only terrible if it no longer has an effect on you. But I find that by slowing down, turning the lights off, lighting candles, and being very slow with the speaking and saying, I offer light to Buddha saying it quite slowly and then making the light offerings and going through your earth, air, fire and water, you know, uh -huh. with your, uh, with uh, offering water to Buddha and offering food to Buddha, which is your earth. And, and doing this in maybe 15, 20 minutes, I've slowly calmed myself down. Um, you end up in a state almost like you're being hypnotized in that you are now sinking into yourself. Hence the, uh, in the uh, Talmud, the people, descend in order to ascend right. as you slowly turn off this part of the physical world and that part of the physical world and your forehead becomes relaxed and your face becomes relaxed and you slowly um, relax you descend into yourself you're turning off the physical world so that the spiritual world that was already there it's like slowly turning up a dimmer light as you are co less concentration on the physical the spiritual slowly starts to shimmer in. And that's how in the um, Talmud, you descend 
in order to ascend to heaven. Right. Yeah, rabbis are still talking shit like saying, well, you've got to take three steps down to go to this spot to then walk up to uh, that spot where, you, where the cantor is going to sing. So he had to descend in order to ascend. And it's like, oh, my God, why don't they just start teaching meditation in Judaism again? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the religions are uh, correct for um, your, your start on spirituality and those moralities that they teach um, are correct and they will by following them make you more receptive but they'll also make you also question your church your synagogue um, now you don't outgrow your church or your synagogue because that's the physical world that is your community if you throw away your church and the people that you are going to get uh, sitting with when you go um, for the mass right what are you going to do? Be alone in your own home, not being able to connect to anybody. Right. That's your community. So I'm not knocking um, the uh, church. I'm just saying don't ever accept that um, your priest knows everything or your rabbi knows everything and that they're always correct. Right. You have as much to, right to be in that church or that synagogue as the priest. Absolutely. <laughs> so you want to... I believe in the um, physical world too. There's no bypassing. Let's get rid of the physical world and concentrate just on the spiritual. The physical is nothing. No, there's a balance. And there, there, there is a reason why we're here. And I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but you can embrace being in the physical world as much as you should embrace the spiritual world too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a balance. And, and I think that's what, why, what has attracted me to, uh, well, it was what attracted me to Buddhism, you know, is, uh, you know, I had, you know, I started reading about the Dalai Lama in, in the middle way, in Nagarjuna, the middle way. Yeah. And, 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 and after, you know, and I also had like, you know, this background in Kabbalah, you know, and like when I read this stuff, you know, about the middle way, in my mind, I'm picturing the Kabbalah and I'm pitching picturing the middle pillar in between the negative yeah. and in between the positive, you know, and, and like that's sort of how it just all kind of works for me anyway. It's amazing of. with um, that diagram. That's the diagram again of the um, tree of life. Yeah. Yeah. I was turned off of Kabbalah originally because a lot of the people that taught it didn't understand it. So if I said, Oh, look, I'm looking at this middle pillar, right. And that's balance. And then I'm looking at one side and that's severity and I'm looking at the other side and, the, and they present it like scales. When being told about a sephira on one side and a sephira on the other, I'm saying, but that's not the opposite. Right. And uh, I'd be given all of this talk and I'd be saying, boy, I really don't understand it, do I? But I didn't realize the person talking to me didn't understand it. Right. I'm not yeah. saying I know more than the teachers, but actually it's not a different set of thought that um, is insane. It is actually quite rational Kabbalah. Yeah. And, and um, science is uh, catching up with it all of the time. I mean, science comes up with the big bang and you got the big bang in K Kabbalah. Absolutely. Scientists, it's the same thing. 
Last week, scientists just started talking about what's inside the black hole. I, I, I think the only, the only mysterious part is like sometimes above yeah. the tree of life, you see those three veils with the Ain, Ain soft, Ain soft, or that, that's oh. where I think, you know, and, and to me, sometimes that, that's where I think like the Ain Ohm is, is almost. Uh, no, or is light. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I've never seen what you said, but I, I understand the Hebrew. Ain mm-hmm. soft or means the light of God. Yeah, that, yeah. That, they usually put that above the tree of life, but they put it in, in different ways. You know, it says Ain is the first one. The next one is Ain soft, And then the, the third one is Ain soft or. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, God actually is in the Sephirot as um, a Sephira that has a dashed line. And it's not mm-hmm. actually part of that. And it's just an indication of uh, before the Simsum. All you've got is, um, well, yeah. the name for God is Ain Sof. But all I was going to say with the black holes is they're, they're now saying what's in there is the universe before ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Kabbalah talks about the, the world before. How did scientists... <laughs> it's like if I live another 50 years, in 25 more years... Another scientist is going to come up and um, say, we've just discovered something and I'll be able to say it's in the Kabbalah. Uh-huh. And 25 years from later, I'm going to say, oh, that's in the Kabbalah too. So that does bring me to blind faith, which I'm told never to have, but you must have at some point. And my faith is, that if I just saw five things that all panned out, even though I think number six is the biggest load of crap that I've ever heard, I have to keep in mind that it's possible because the pattern was the five things that also would have sounded like crap before mm-hmm. panned out. So there's a lot in the Kabbalah that I don't understand that I think sounds a bit stupid and some of it might have just been what you said and that I'll find out. Um, in 10 years' time that you just told me the greatest thing under the sun and I just didn't understand it today. (laughs) So I keep an open mind because there's a pattern of scientists now saying, right, this is what um, our um, research is showing us. We have got so much evidence for this. We didn't know this before. And it's like, um, but that's in the Kabbalah. You, You know, one of the other things too is like, you mentioned like the black hole. You know, one of the things that I've also read is that they found that the frequency coming from a black hole is the same vibration as B minor. That would be very interesting. (laughs) I I believe that with the vibrations, the musical scale is just great because we talk about some music makes our spirit sore. Some makes us feel very down. I would love to see um, if it's even possible Um, a study where people who are not brought up in the Western culture take a a given certain music to listen to, to see, does it it affect them the same way? So is this actually a vibrational thing? The certain vibrational patterns affect our emotions across the board, all people, or were we just simply brought up that these are like Jung's symbols and activation of the symbol. Uh-huh. You get taught, if, um, if uh, you're shown a Star of David because you're Jewish 
and you're told that this represents all things good. And the triangle that goes up is heaven, and the triangle that goes down is hell, and this is about the balance of heaven and hell. And uh, you always see that as positive, and you attach certain emotions to it. Then 20 years later, um, although you might not have ever practiced Judaism, and maybe you didn't even see a Star of David, you're feeling rather down, and you see one, um, either on a wall and it affects you. It reactivates the symbol. All of those emotions and thoughts that you invested in it come out again. Now, are we activating a symbol when we listen to certain music mm. or is it the vibrational rate of that music actually affects all human beings across the board? It's interesting. It is interesting. I say, with animals that they're reacting to um, the music the same way as us. Yeah. So music uh, soothes the savage beast. <laughs> I just thought it was cool. Cause I, I think and like, like for me, I always found like B minor to be actually like one of my favorite chords to play or, or you know, that, that in that key, because it is, it, it's, it's haunting and empty, but also at the same time, it has sort of a, a, a life behind it too. When I hear that particular, if you want to, if you want to get into Notaricon, which I don't, um, the B in English is bait in, um, in Hebrew. And it's the first letter of the Bible. Huh. It'll sound <laughs> like a swear word, but the first word, and it does sound like a swear word is very shit, which means in the beginning. Yeah. It's uh, with with a B. Coincidence? <laughs> that, that was, uh, to me, yes. But to a Kabbalist, if a Kabbalist was here right now, they'd say, it's funny you said that. You've got the, the bait. And then they'd start talking about how the bait is drawn and what the parts of that are all symbolize. Yeah. Yeah. And it would come down to a B <laughs> or a bait. <laughs> But that's, that's a bit like people that say that Abraham isn't, uh, or Abraham's original name was Abram, is um, an anagram of Brahma. I never heard that one. It is, but the um, ancient Hindus didn't speak English, and neither did um, the ancient Hebrews. So why would you get uh, Brahma and Abraham? <laughs> <laughs> These are these are good. They're like mother, mother jelly sandwiches thing again. You know, so that you can remember the name of the planets. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, if I if I wanted to remember something, it's much easier to remember it if I can visualize it as something, and if I can put a rhyme to it, and then I can um, I can remember more things by doing that. And yeah. I think for Gematria and Notaricon. There are ways of doing that as well as hiding the information uh, from people that could take it and misuse it or people that, uh, for instance, you wouldn't, if you're a Kabbalist, want the Inquisition to be finding your information. They'd be hauling you towards, into a court and saying, he's a witch, he's, he's a Satanist. So there were reasons for people to to hide things in the past and there may be reasons to hide things in the future. But right now we've got our freedom of speech and our freedom of belief. Yeah. 
yeah. so we can we can work together and honestly discuss things. And somebody can say to me, you know, David, I listen to the podcast and you talk shit. <laughs> they can say that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> well, there won't be um, some uh, group of people come out and, um, and kill you for it. No, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> but it hasn't happened to me lately, but you <laughs> Quite often, quite often, um, you can see the footage of book burnings. There are churches burning books and records today. Well, maybe not records, <laughs> but uh, remember with the heavy, the burning of heavy metal records. Oh man, the eighties! That was such a mess. <laughs> well, that's when people believed that Satanists were out there in the suburbs, bringing the dead back to life. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Even so there's conference. some kids listening to Motley Crew. <laughs> well, there were some kids that did stupid things and uh, was blamed on heavy metal. But kids have always done stupid things. And the kid that is going to do something stupid finds the influence first. I believe the stupidity is in there from the start. There was a famous one of um, two boys with a shotgun that made um, a suicide pact. One boy died. The other just shot his face off. Yeah. That was, I think, the catalyst um, because once the boy had done that, do you think um, any, usually if you've done something stupid and it's your own fault when you're a kid, you just can't admit it. You have to blame something else. Mm -hmm. Do you think with something that extreme, the kid was going to take responsibility and say, well, look, I'm an idiot. This is what happens to idiots. I think it all went before Congress. It did. And, uh, I they remember. Were, <laughs> they were talking about does um, Satanism um, lead to uh, to kids blowing their faces off? Is it is it going to degrade society? Um, I think uh, you you just basically had some stupid kids in the first place. You have to ask. What was, motiv what was wrong inside them that was motivating them to want to do these things? And uh, it certainly wasn't uh, video games, heavy metal, same with these school shooters, etc. Yeah. So um, we're told you need to be protected against information. The internet and today means that no child, no human being can be protected against information. What you um, need to be taught is how to handle information from the beginning to be able to look at uh, i mean mm -hmm. i love uh, there's a lot of heavy metal that i love a lot of um skill involved in um some of the playing mm -hmm. but uh it is a case of uh, for instance if somebody somebody wanted to know about necromancy theoretically they could find that information on the internet. But if they find that information and it says, uh, you're going to have to go to the cemetery at 12 o'clock at night, you hope that the person is actually smart enough not to jump the fence of the cemetery at 12 o'clock at night, <laughs> which many of us actually have done yeah. um, <laughs> on more than one occasion. But <clears throat> I take responsibility if I happen to have jumped the cemetery in the dead of night. Yeah. But you are... You're hoping that they're not going to start digging up dead bodies and, um, you know, lighting candles and doing all of this yeah, stuff. Ho hopefully it's just to smoke some weed and drink beer. <laughs> I've been caught by the um, police doing that. I got Me let too. off. 
Oh, they drove me around the suburbs <coughs> in the back of the paddy wagon with a couple of other goths that were doing the same thing. And we have what's called speed humps. Mm-hmm. They just slow the cars down, so they have to slow right down and go slowly over the hump. And this was an old paddy wagon. And uh, we were bouncing around in the back. And they, <laughs> they sped through the suburbs with the uh, lights on um, over every speed hump until we'd been shaken around. And they said, we see you out on the street um, before our shift is over, which is dawn. You're in, the, uh, in this cells. <laughs> and believe it or not, I agree with those actions too. You've got all of the uh, your types nowadays knocking the police, knocking this or knocking that. But um, basically, I don't have a police record because um, I got my little punishment and I decided not to listen to stupid friends that wanted to jump the uh, gates of cemeteries at night. If we had done any damage, we actually would have been in trouble. But yeah. uh, sitting there drinking in the dead of night and smoking weed, well, that's a whacking. <laughs> yep. Same here. Yeah. That's always so, happened to me. The cops would catch me. Actually, they would always take my weed and beer. I'm pretty sure they were just smoking my weed and drinking my beer after a shift. Oh, no. They made us <laughs> tip all of the beer out at the, uh, at the front of the cemetery. So, yeah, um, every open bottle had to be tipped out. Yeah, yeah they always they confiscate. They, they conveniently would confiscate my stash. <laughs> no, uh, well, they didn't catch us with marijuana, but they let us take uh, any unopened beers back home. Oh, that's nice of them. Well, I think they thought that if uh, they let us do that, we'll just sit at home and drink the beer. Yeah. And if they don't, we'll go out to it and find another bottle shop and buy more. We were over 18, old enough to drink. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I, I believe that the information should be put out there and um, people, it really comes down to teaching people from the earliest um, how to handle information better than we were taught. Because right? um, I would never have thought that was that sort of thing was exciting if I hadn't been told and it, and it wasn't exciting at all. It was adults <laughs> sitting around bragging about how wild and rebellious they were in their youth and what they did and what they got away with. And all they were doing was being narcissistic um, yes. about how they were better than us. And by the time I finally got to do some of these stupid things, I realized they're boring. There's nothing more boring than sitting in the cemetery at night drinking beer. It's much more exciting <laughs> to sit, if it was legal, it's not legal here to sit on outside and drink beer either. No, uh, it is in in uh, where in Melbourne, but not in St Kilda. Huh. Uh, there were too many people getting drunk and being yahoos, so you're not allowed to have open bottles of beer in my suburb. Hmm. But um, I do feel that it's quite exciting to be able to sit there and watch the cars going past, see the city lights, and hear all the hubbub and drink while doing that. It's much more exciting than a cemetery. Oh yeah, but instead of Instead of being taught to be responsible with information, we had there were so many adults around that were narcissistic when I was a kid. Every story they had was uh, really aimed at somehow saying how much better they were than us, how much better they had it, how braver they were, how much more fun they had. So, yeah. Um, <coughs> I do regret having gone to the cemetery and uh, drunk beer. I think I would have had a much more exciting time if I'd um, 
not jump the cemetery fence. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly didn't raise any dead bodies that way. And I don't believe going to the people going to the cemetery and digging up dead bodies is going to achieve anything. But I I do think that people looking for the information will encounter that. And that's going to be misinformation. Maybe that's what I'll call this episode. Warning. Don't jump into the cemetery, jump over cemetery fences and dig up bodies. <laughs> well, the first time I asked about Kabbalah was when I was 13. And this is probably about the time that um, I split off from bothering with Judaism um, as a spiritual um, system again. I be- the man I asked was a teacher at school. And I believe that... Um, he, did, he knew fuck all about Kabbalah, but he was very, very religious and he was our Jewish history teacher. And um, basically he was looked up to by a lot of the community. I don't think he really wanted to answer my question. So he looked at me and got very spooky and scared the crap out of me saying, are you prepared to raise a dead body in the cemetery at midnight? <laughs> And as a kid, I almost went running away. And um, I started to realize that there are almost no Jews alive that actually study Kabbalah as it was intended or understand it. It's always been taught um, teacher to student in secret schools of maybe five. And People still believe that the edict that came in after Shabtai Zevi is still in force. And it's an edict that you are not allowed to study Kabbalah unless you are married, uh, over 40, um, and have uh, been recognized as a Talmudic scholar. It was only in, um, uh, it was only around for 40 years. And then basically the edict finished. It's and it's interesting that somebody puts in an edict with the time limit, <laughs> but they did. <laughs> Shabtai Zevi uh, stood up and said he was the Messiah in 1666. And he convinced a hell of a lot of people that he was, and he got a lot of followers. And uh, he uh, basically turned out to be a fraud. And he was um, a Kabbalistic expert, but he started going insane and what he was teaching was not Kabbalah. So to prevent false messiahs and people falling for it, um, these laws were put in place um, that uh, for 40 years, no one's allowed to study Kabbalah. And then afterwards, you've got to be over 40, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's uh, not in the mainstream anymore. Um, the people that are standing up and saying, I'm teaching Kabbalah are also selling trinkets and courses. Yeah. In Buddhism, they tell you, you cannot sell teachings. <laughs> You're allowed to donate money to uh, keep the monastery going, but you can't buy teachings. In fact, they encourage you to keep the monastery going by donating money, but you are not allowed to sell teachings. So, um, yeah, Kabbalah basically... Um, it's not there in the mainstream and uh, the secret Kabbalistic schools probably still do exist because you've got people that are emerging every now and again, like Rabbi Kaplan, um, that somehow they are very advanced and they know stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it's still out there. Oh yeah. Even with Breslova Hasids, they're tucked away from everybody else. 
the fact that one of their Hasidim came up with the idea of a silent scream, um, is this, it's to have the same idea as a Zen Cohen. You know, mm-hmm. with the Zen Cohen, the idea is stop your mind for a split second. It's a way of piercing the veil. If you can stop your mind just for that split second, can be even less than that, then because the mind's not work, not moving, which is near impossible to do, all of that information from the other side is going to flood in. It's beyond time. It's beyond space. Um, the amount that will come in, it's really only your own mind that's going to limit it. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it'll be more than you ever thought was imaginable. So um, the idea with the Breslovers was uh, somebody said, how am I going to stop my mind? And they came up with the silent scream. Take all the pain you can ever imagine. Work yourself up that you are overcome with it. And instead of screaming out to let it out, you scream inwards. In that split second, your mind stops. Very, very dangerous practice. Especially have you, because have it, you ever tried it? No, because um, I already had that experience with oh, piercing so the veil. Yeah. yeah, and I've read a lot of other people that have suicided after these things. They can't handle the depression. Mm. They can't handle um, their reality patterns being distorted by so much uh, information that is foreign to them. So we get taught things, we get taught things bit by bit by bit and we slowly absorb them and we build a reality pattern, um, a, a data dump, a spiritual data dump like that um, can fry your mind as a computer. Yeah. So um, it, it's very dangerous. So I would never do it. I'm just saying it's there as a spiritual practice and a majority of spiritual practitioners that are aware of it say it's the highest uh, thing you're going to achieve. Hmm. My belief is that, um, well, this is getting back to Kabbalah. If all that was, is, and will be, was as one before um, the great Simsum, before existence came into being, with that great Simsum, and it's just the Sim that means um, expansion, the Sum is contraction, there will be a contraction. Scientists are now saying, you know, the world is eventually going to contract. And yes, eventually it's going to uh, contract. No use asking when, because the actual event is beyond uh, time. Mm -hmm. It happens at the point, it actually happened at the exact moment that the expansion happened, because we were before time. All it is, was, and will be. Yeah, there's, there's this uh, period in between where we can perceive time and we perceive it in a linear fashion. It doesn't mean that time works in a, a linear fashion. It's how we perceive it. Yeah. But everything that went out came back in. So if you're going to say, in kingdom come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it is kingdom come, the most boring time that will ever exist because it's perfect. There's nothing that changes. It's just frozen, no time. And... Uh, Basically, I'm saying whether you actually achieve anything spiritually or not, it's all going to be the same. You will actually go back to the original (laughs) source. It's part of the natural process. 
Right. So you don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. For those dealing with grief for having lost a loved one that have tuned in because they want to learn how to raise that loved one. Um, we haven't taught them. We've taught, we've shown them many of the concepts that go into how you would do that, but we haven't actually told them how to do it. I think it's probably better to deal with the grief, no matter how bad it is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if you ever get over grief, but you learn to live with it, at least for me. I have never gotten over the grief of losing my grandmother or my brother. I think of them every single day, and I talk to them. No, yes. they don't talk back. They don't, but <laughs> I'll, I'll stop. Oh, maybe two, three times a day. I don't know how many, not an excessive amount of times. And I'll go, oh, Steve, you would have loved the sunset tonight. Boy, yeah, Steve, I remember how much you loved them. Or I'll say, oh, Nan, I wish you were here. You would just love seeing that pussycat that's walking on the fence outside. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk to my cat that died, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's normal. You should know that um, they probably aren't going to answer you. They might actually be listening. I'll never say that they might not be. But don't, but, but yes, um, I d you can't rob someone of their grief because I don't believe anyone who, outside of a psychopath or anyone that has those sort of uh, that dark triad of personalities. I believe the rest of us never get over uh, grief of having lost any loved one. But I also believe that we never lose those loved ones in one way because their energies and their influence is always with us. It's just yes. that just that they're physically not there. And what the person wanting to do to raise the dead wants is to watch them walk through the door physically again and say, hi, how are you? And throw their arms around you. And even in the wildest scenarios, I think it's a bad idea. Right. And one of the important points that you also had pointed out that, you know, there's, you know, not, and I agree with you too. The soul does not reside in the body. The body is just a receiver. Correct. Now, some so, people believe that what's happening, which is, is the, the same soul. as, which is the same as the other analogy of don't mistake the finger for the moon. Exactly. Um, we're receiving um, the light from somewhere else, like a torch beaming at the wall. Um, if that wall falls down, it doesn't mean the light's gone. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, Basically, your loved one that has passed away has a purpose just like yourself. Uh, your, your paths are not always going to be connected, but you will be together with them one day, as we all will be. That's whether you manage to achieve high spiritual goals or not. Because simsum is one word. The sim for the expansion, sum for the attraction, um, contraction, 
Now, maybe people are saying, oh, fuck off, you Jew bastard. You're talking Kabbalah at me, which I can imagine people saying it. But that same person uh, <laughs> that same person might be following Hinduism. And it doesn't conflict. It's just a different way of going up the same mountain. Yeah, it, it's, all might, the, it's all the same stuff. For those that are Christians that really think that this is bad, they should look at process theology. There actually is a Christian... Um, group or a Christian method of belief, which is almost Kabbalistic. So yeah, Christians aren't behind the uh, Muslims and everybody else. And if, if you're Muslim, maybe you should look at the path of Sufism. There are every spiritual system, every church um, that, that is around for long enough to grow ends up with some sort of spirituality that they might hide from people in some sort of spiritual group. So, um, yeah, there, there's a, it's just that you might not be receptive to what's taught in yours and have to look to another like I did. Yeah, me too. I, I grew up Catholic, but, you know, it's been Kabbalah. The combination of Kabbalah and Buddhism is what really influences me. It was Buddhism that helped me um, understand Kabbalah. Me too, actually. I, didn't th I think I don't really hide. understood. Yeah. Well, Buddhism didn't hide the teachings. Right. Buddhism just gives the teachings straight out. Uh, whereas Kabbalah, I understand why the Kabbalah, Kabbalistic scholars had to hide. There's a whole history of persecution there. Yeah. So they've hidden their teachings. Um, now, with uh, Buddhists, maybe there's been persecution within oh, those in areas. China. Yep. Oh, yeah. China had a cultural revolution. Basically, <laughs> everybody, everybody was persecuted. It's, uh, it's not as, that far different to uh, Pol Pot with Kampuchea, with mm -hmm. deciding that everybody must dress the same. Everybody, must, you know, it's the, the idea with communism, and it's a beautiful system that just never works. The idea is that we're all equal. We should be given according to our needs. But then they, um, somebody's come along and said, let's start removing the causes of conflict. Um, your religion causes conflict because you believe this and they believe that. So let's start trying to remove religion. Let's start removing all things. And uh, when you get down to it, when everybody looks the same and believes the same, there is still conflict because it comes down to something inside a person. Uh, actually, uh, this is related. There's um, a famous monk called Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah, I've read quite a few of his books. One day when I was into Buddhism, he was out in Australia. He obviously wasn't that well known because it was just a house that he was speaking at and everyone had to pay $5 to come in. And I said to my girlfriend, I bet you this guy's just going to be full of crap. Let's just say that we can't afford the $5 and see if they turn us away. Because I was, I was like in um, full on into punk, right? <laughs> they didn't turn us away. We actually did pay the $5 before we left, right? Because we were so impressed. And he said, I think that the peace movement is not so peaceful. And I had a moment like Bart Simpson with the Cohen. 
My girlfriend and myself have been trying so hard to fit in as punks and to be accepted into the punk community. We're at the forefront of uh, so many protests and groups and that. Wherever we were going, there were just angry people that uh, they didn't know us, but they just knew that we were capos, that we were this, that we were that. We realised that the peace movement, these are just angry people that... Um, are pointing the finger and screaming at everybody. In some cases, they're narcissistic and it's the ideal thing to sit there and judge everybody. Yeah. And it hit it. You, you're not going to get peace through violence. And um, some people that are a bit rude say, um, you can't fuck for virginity. You know, <laughs> fighting for peace is the same sort of thing. Yes. Oh, the, the man's blurb was amazing. Um, He'd come through the Vietnam War, which is why he was going to be talking about peace, but inner peace. And I, I don't want to speak for him because the man's a genius, very advanced, but he was basically saying that um, peace comes from within first and then everything will come later on. If you're going to build the foundation of your house, build it solid. So I'm just saying that um, with that idea, with um, communism, for all of the great ideals, basically... They don't work because the problem is already within the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't fix society. It, it's like trying to fix a, trying to fix your car without lifting the hood. Yeah, yeah. You've got to get right in and find what the problem <laughs> is, and um, because, in my opinion, one of the things we're really striving for is balance, which is why I'm not trying to get to heaven and why I don't want to go to hell. But um, balance, when you're looking at balance, I think it's in Kibalian rather than Kabbalah. It says the swing to the left is equal to the swing to the right. Yes. When you look at each imbalance, um, you start to find there is an overcompensation. Your narcissist who is um, arrogant and is lording it over everyone, saying I'm superior, quite often has some sort of childhood injury um, where they feel that they are lesser than everybody. The swing to the left equals the swing to the right. By the time you get through um, trying to clean your system to get to balance, if you ever manage it, you've then got to maintain balance because we're in an ever-changing world and how you react to something. Um, for instance, we all had to react at the moment to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the restrictions are in Melbourne now because they, we've been told an hour ago while I've been on here whether we're out of stage four or not. We have not been allowed out for more than an hour a day only to go to the uh, supermarket, not allowed to go more than five kilometres from home, must wear a mask. We're under one of the most strictest lockdowns um, in the world. And no matter how strong any of us thought we were, it has been a challenge. I find uh, that there's a lot of dark times when you... I mean, I might say, gee, I think the world's full of bad people. Well, I want to go out and talk to the bad people and have a good time with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are not born to be um, solo creatures. If that happened, the species would have died. Yes. We're, we're, we're programmed to be um, communal. 
Uh, it's what keeps the species going. So, um, yeah, very challenging times. And I do think that, um, anyway, I should get back to the necromancy. It's what people tuned in for and we haven't told them anything. Oh, we told them all. We told them everything they need to know. They got more than enough to be able to know where to look and what to look for and to have been warned. Yeah. Don't do it. Look to yourself and why you feel the need to bring back someone from the dead. I mean, they have their purpose and had their purpose in life and are now off to whatever it is they've got to do. Their journey is not yours. Yep. Just you just got to get through your own grief. I learned as a little kid, I had to stop screaming and let daddy go to work. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Where I had to stop screaming and go to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you had to do your own homework. Um, yep. We have companions on, our, on the path for a while who will help us or hinder us, but our path is our own. And uh, we have to accept that other people have their own paths. And although it hurts to lose somebody, um, to let them go in some fashion. I mean, I will never stop talking to my dead brother and my dead grandmother. Um, there are others that died that I wasn't so close to that I'd never think of, but the ones I was closest to, I always do. They're with me every day. Me too. I do the same thing. Yep. I mean, even, even though they're gone, I still think they're close. Oh, in some ways they are. It's just, it's, it's, just a, it's just a receiver that's gone. Yes. Yeah. Um, we'll be up there soon enough anyway. It's stupid for anyone to choose suicide to go up there because it's all on the day everything um, came into being was the same day it stopped the, the, because it was beyond time. The sim and the sum happened at the exact same moment. Yeah. Everything that's in between actually – with what I'm saying, I'm about to confuse everybody. Some people are going to say, are you saying there is no, that everything is predetermined? And uh, I'm saying yes and no. That would be my karma answer too. And, karma and fate do go together. You will still do all of the things that you want to do. Just because you don't know it doesn't mean it didn't happen. For instance, um, when you watch a film, we see time in a linear fashion and the old films were made up frame by frame by frame by frame on a long piece of film. And when that is shown, you actually see it as if it's all coming into being as it's going along. Mm -hmm. But it already happened. It's already there on the film. In a way, because everything's happened, it's like that. But you... but. You still play it out. Everything still works according to every law. So um, is it a case that you can't change something that's already happened? No, you had the choice when you did it of what you would do. What came back was exactly according to all of the many laws of nature. So if you threw a ball in the air, it went up and then went down and maybe bounced a few times. <laughs> it, it's never going to work 
that you're going to throw the ball in the air and something that uh, defies all laws of nature will happen. So although fate and um, karma uh, or kismet and karma are still working, it's only your mind that can't get around the fact that, um, that they work together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I look at time as... Um, As a limit to my perception, basically, I'm only able to perceive things at a certain speed. Um, yeah. But the actual time itself has is is already happened. It's, it's just limited by my ability to perceive it all at one time. We're totally we are limited in our abilities to perceive. Full stop. Like we said at the beginning, and what we're doing is trying to increase our ability to perceive so we get rid of jealousy um that's um taking away or reduce our jealousies that's reducing one distortion we reduce another by reducing our hatred um our attachment which is why we would want to bring the dead back to life is another thing to work on why are we so attached um so it's something to work on and we both said that we weren't successful in it, but at least we know. Yeah. Just because we're not there doesn't mean we can't look at the roadmap and say, oh, but there's the map. Right. And I'm saying that I'm only going to choose to walk so far down the path because I want to stay with the balance of being a human being. And I, um, also, was, I also think when, I talk, when, when somebody says that they have all the answers and have achieved it all and, and they've done it, I typically say, think that person is lying anyway. <laughs> I'm 100% sure they are, especially when you see um, so many of these people have got 90 Rolls Royces. Yes. <laughs> oh, there's nothing that sells better than religion. Um, I could easily uh, package up a religion. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard um, originally said something along the lines that he could package up a religion and uh, <laughs> do the whole bit. And then he did. Yeah. And people still believe it. Um, but uh, no, it, because I'm working in show business, not successfully, by the way, it's not like anyone out there has heard of me. They might one day. But it means that I am working with costumes and makeup and pomp and ceremony. And I got just enough uh, spiritual knowledge that I could couch it in dodge, uh, you know, really arty farty stuff. And I could stand up there and the people that will come and throw money at me are the people that are out of balance. They might be in grief. Mm -hmm. They might say the, the logic is suspended at that moment that you are overcome with emotion to that point. And it could be that you just lost your mother. Um, or you lost your brother like I did and you lost him young and you say, it's not working. He was a good man. He was um, run over by a car. By the way, my brother wasn't a good man and he wasn't run over by a car. Um, he was a bad man that died from a heroin overdose. I loved him <laughs> very much, but um, he, he, some people really do have somebody that is that great and they can't work out why something happened. And they will be the ones that are going to be receptive to any answer because already their whole worldview got shaken. How can a good woman or a good man uh, be taken away in such unjust circumstances? 
So yeah, making a religion and making money and telling everybody you've got the answers. It's not too difficult. Anton LaVey did the same thing. And he also yeah. said that he was going to. Most people that follow Satanism, um, Anton LaVey's Satanism, they really should read his autobiography, Diary of a Satanist. Anton LaVey had no idea about what Satanism was. He has created <laughs> something brand new. And, it wasn't that. <laughs> and he said so. And he said this is what he was going to do and what he did. He explained it all. He had no idea of um, Satanism, which is about energy. It is about, um, you know, correspondence. The whole idea of why you are going to uh, kill a human being or an animal and punts around them, dressed up and scare the crap out of them is because you want to raise that uh, base chakra energy to a very high level. Right. That's the reason why you uh, have sex on the altar, to raise as much base chakra energy as possible. And in raising that base chakra energy, you're doing it for two reasons. One, either you're powerful enough to know how to channel it, to bring up a dead body yourself, or you are going to find a being that feeds off of this, that loves it. You're paying them off to do your bidding. And that means uh, summoning a demon. Yes. So a demon is what you're looking to summon by scaring the crap out of somebody to the point that you kill them and uh, having sex, uh, basically the, uh, the energy of fight, flight and fuck is your base chakra. And people can say, oh, boy, didn't you just talk a load of crap? But this is actually proven from the chakras through to um, all of the lines of energy in the body. Um, as far as I know, medicinally, there are people that work with that. They work yes. with those lines. They stick pins in you, acupuncture. <laughs> wherever, wherever you get a whole lot of lines converging in one spot, making a nexus, you've got a chakra. And uh, these chakras do um, conform to a certain energy. So, um, yeah, the, when it comes down to raising a dead body, running to the cemetery, are you practicing Satanism? Are you looking to uh, either channel that energy yourself? There wouldn't be many people that would be capable of channeling that energy to raise the dead. So are you really looking to uh, raise up a demon? Because if you do, what are you going to do with it after you raised it? I don't know I what mean, people are going to do. <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I did an interview before before this one with somebody in a cultist, and we were talking about. Um, like, I asked him. I said, "Well, what, what you know?" He mentioned like you know using demons to, to do things, and I and I asked him, "Like, well, what is a demon?" And he was, "Well, it's a matter of perception. It's just a a, a spirit that's closer to our realm." Um, but, but his technique, like, like rather than trying to use up all that energy to force the demon to do his bidding, his was like, his approach to it is, um, to ask them, you know, say, Hey, Mr. Demon, you want to help me? Or if the demon says, no, you part ways. And, and it's like, that's sort of like the end of it rather than trying to, you know, f create a whole bunch of energy to get the demon to be afraid and to do your bidding. There's a whole lot um, that actually is written that people can get hold of. Uh, the book 
is uh, quite often just um, shortened to abramelin. Oh, abramelin the mage. Yeah, it's actually a very long, unwieldy name of something like the teachings of the mad Arab is taught to Lamech, yeah. uh, the son of Abram. <laughs> <laughs> now, it does give you a long method of practice where you're going to uh, purify yourself in order to do these yeah, things. It's like, like 21 um, days you have to, I think. Yeah, um, it'd be near impossible to do all of this stuff. But um, yeah, basically um, a demon, to the best of my knowledge, is a higher being, not a lower being. That's why they can do things. But the energy vibration of theirs is equivalent to, say, the fight or flight energy of that we have in our world or the same energy as in hell, looking at it like in a musical scale, going from low C to middle C to high C. It's like that spiral staircase of the Freemasons. You're coming back to the same energy, vibra same vibration that is, corresponds mathematically at each level. Now, you um, start going to these higher beings and you know what their energy uh rate is what they what they like which is basically killing and torturing you're not going to put the genie back in the bottle i haven't tried it so <laughs> well i'm only talking theoretically yeah that's that's i won't say it's the only theory on it and i won't say it um that other theories can't be correct either but that is the theory that you would find within both Kabbalah, uh, yeah, definitely, Kabbalah. Definitely in the older texts, that was their point of view. Absolutely. And, uh, in order to, to do what they, basically what they were saying was, first you had to master yourself and make contact to your higher self, which like your, like your higher self, they refer to it as like your, your archangel or your higher angel or whatever. And then once you have that connection, then you can proceed to, you know, do this other stuff safely. But unless you make that first connection with your higher self, things can go wrong. I believe if you um, do find your higher self, you do actually start to see things clearly. You do. Then you probably won't want to conjure the demon to begin with. That's the funny thing. That's, that's what I'm saying too. Um, but it's something you would need to do anyway. Um, I, I suppose some people here think, look, I, I'm going to uh, take a few shekels and go off to uh, the voodoo man and have him bring back uh, my uh, deceased, the person that I, I wish to have brought back. That's the stuff that I was seeing with this Congolese uh, wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, even then, um, I actually... I didn't believe there was, I believe that there was power in what they did in that the people believe it. Right. So like a placebo effect with the drug that you give somebody um, a sugar pill and if they believe that that will work, it has a positive effect. But as to, I believe that they could see the future or anything. Well, considering these people wanted money and they were living in a um, hut with a mud floor, and uh, playing with chicken gizzards, they don't seem to have been very good at getting money. <laughs> now, 
It's yeah. not like everybody out that way is poor. There are some people that are running around with gold-plated AK-47s, yeah. you know, wearing military uniforms. So people do get rich no matter what society it is. So if you're talking about somebody that's after money and that they say they can raise the dead and they're poor, it's probably a con job. <laughs> Good advice. So I got to get going. Um, no worries. <laughs> did we for, cover what needed to be covered? <laughs> I think we did. Uh, thanks yeah. for coming. Um, just put out a little plug for your movie. Oh, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. The reason why I came on the show is because as a horror, because I make horror movies and Raising from the Dead comes into movies, I was like the, um, the backup choice. If we can't get a, re- a necromancer, Let's get someone that makes horror movies. Exactly. It made perfect sense. I mean, it's zombies, zombies are risen from the dead. Yes, but they, they, only, they don't have the soul in them. They've only got, uh, it's like turning on a computer and only the base instinct is there. So their, their higher self is gone with the zombie. Mm-hmm. And they don't move very well. And... Um, Another problem with bringing back the dead, as you said, you want to do it within 24 hours. Well, I don't know how many people have seen a dead body after just six. I think the longest one I've seen is maybe two. Yeah, you really don't want to be putting somebody back in there and reanimating it. They do smell funky. Oh, they do after a few days, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a bad funk. <laughs> yeah, but if it's people that just want to um, talk to the spirit, I won't discourage them from that. I wouldn't either. I'm so, not going to do it, but if you want to talk to somebody that's passed over to the other side, forget bringing the body back. I would say just um, talk to them. Yeah. I totally agree. So kids, take our advice. Stay away from the cemetery. Yeah, find the, uh, the spiritualist instead. Yes. Some of those ones that read tarot cards and can talk to you, some are fraudulent, but there's others I'm not so sure about. And uh, you might find the good one that I knows. A couple on the show. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, considering they don't cost a lot to go to in the first place, I, I, I'm not going to discourage anyone from going for a reading or a seance. Me either. So take our advice, kids. Again, stay out of the cemetery and find a good spiritualist. <laughs> well, thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Have a great night. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, 
Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.